faith. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. All right, Luke chapter 12 tonight, and it, it is uh, such, a, a, again, another teaching lesson from Jesus to his disciples, to us, and um, very poignant, I mean, uh, very straightforward um, lessons we will not miss, and I just pray tonight that you will concentrate and that you will want to hear, because he has much to teach. If, again, I know red letters are no more important in God's word. Every word is important. But there's something about when you have red letter edition. I, I enjoy watching Jesus get on a roll. And, and he, he just keeps going. He goes from one subject to the other. And he's really training his disciples and us to, to say, if you're going to go out into the world and, and do what I've called you to do, then you've got to understand that you're up against your human nature, and that human nature is pride, it's greed, it's, it's worry, and so he's dealing with all these natural things that we think we can't fight against, but he's going to prove that we can, and we we. We have to stop using excuses, thinking that we can't help it. So anyway, tonight, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, boy, he is really getting the crowds. Don't you just wish that every one of them was just believing? And they were just, you know, when you think of these numbers, but you know how it goes. You know, some people receive, some people reject, and some people are there for the wrong reasons. But the crowds are coming. Sometimes people come just because they're nosy, you know, just because they, they, it's the thing to do because it's the new fad that's out or whatever. Um, I don't really care why people come. Uh, I think if they come once, then they hear how God speaks through his word. But um, here, it seemed like there was such a persistence in people wanting Jesus to be someone that they wanted him to be instead of who he really was. I mean, they would not listen. It's like they put a wall up whenever he wanted to get them to see themselves and what they needed to do to know him personally and to know that he was the Messiah. But they wanted to come to watch and to see what was going to happen. So thousands, in fact, so many that they were trampling on one another. And Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. It's like even though there were thousands of people, he said, I'm, it's like he turned to his 12 and he said, oh, be on your guard. Here is a warning be on your guard because if you're not watching for it, if you're not ready for it, if you're not prepared for it, you are going to get sucked right up into it because they are slick. They're so slick. And they, they have you so fooled. They look so righteous. And you'd think after last week with those six woes, you would have thought that they would have seen themselves. I mean, he's trying every angle. But he is saying to the disciples, I want to warn you, you have to be in your guard because there are people out there that are going to fool you. They're going to look so spit and polished, and they're going to look so religious. So when he said, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
hypocrisy. Set it right out there. And the yeast, I mean, it doesn't, for any baker, we know it doesn't take much. It's, when, you, when you rip open that little yeast pack, you know, and, and you think, oh, what could that little bit, you know, teaspoon, tablespoon of that, what could that do? But I'm telling you, it's just amazing. So it doesn't take much. So that was a good illustration because back then, those women understood yeast. You know, it's kind of, doesn't take much arsenic to do its job either. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it doesn't take much of this hypocrisy to do great damage. I mean, last week, wasn't the last woe? That, that was so heartbreaking. It was like Jesus was saying, woe to you, because people are looking to you. They're trusting you. They're believing that you know more than they do, so they want to follow you. And you're leading them totally in the wrong direction. It's one thing if you don't want to believe it, but you're causing other people to not believe. I mean, that, that was the last one that you thought would have been the real gut punch that they would have thought, oh, man, that's the last thing I want to do. But it didn't matter. And so he says, you got to be on your guard, those hypocrites. But then he says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. See, there's something about hypocrisy that I call it slick. It's sneaky too. Because like I said, you know, on the visual, when when the average person is looking at them, I mean, you know, just look at they are put together religiously. They're so spiritual, you know, you're just awed by it. You know, and and they they are it's an hypocrisy. Can I say it's an art? There's something about it. Hypocrisy can be an art. They're so good at concealing. They're so good at concealing what's really on the inside. It's just amazing how they can fool you. Well, Jesus says, I just want you to know. And he's talking to his disciples, but you know he's wanting everybody around, all the crowds, all the Pharisees that are in there to be listening, saying, Ooh, I didn't even think about that because when he said there will not be anything concealed that will not be con- that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs have you ever said anything in a whisper thinking oh, it's just between us you know who's going to know you know, did you ever hear? Did you know? I mean, we've all done it. That's why before we really look, look at these Pharisees and think how pathetic they are, which they are, but there is a little hypocrisy in every one of us, unfortunately, and it's got to be dealt with. I mean, it's got to be made clear because our goal is to be authentic, to be real, clear through. And, you know, sometimes we don't like to see it, but, you know, he, he's kind of talking and he, here and he's kind of hitting, hitting a, a, a real nerve because, you know, we've all done it. You know, we, we think that, you know, what's going to hurt. And, and, and this one part that said, what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner room, I mean, that's about as closed in that you think it's not damaging at all because you're just whispering and it's in the inner room. No one is going to hear. And he said, oh, I beg to differ. It's going to be proclaimed from the roofs. Doesn't this verse just kind of make you sit up and think, I'm going to be a little careful what I talk about. I'm going to be a little careful about what I'm whispering to other people. 
because I mean, I'm just quoting what, what Jesus said. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. See, he's saying, I, I don't want you to, I'm not trying to be mean tonight, but I think we do have to admit that we all will run in that hypocrisy thing a little bit. And it does have to be dealt with. So then he says, I tell you, my friends, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more harm. Boy, that was kind of a a jolt when he said that. You know, see, Jesus knew that, that hypocrites, they absolutely cannot stand faithful servants of God. Hypocrites cannot stand to be by real people, authentic people for Jesus. And and it doesn't take much to figure out why. I mean, they're obviously feeling uh, guilt. They don't, they know themselves, they know what they're hiding. And yet, yet, when it's, when they see and they're by somebody who's real, I mean, that's not very comfortable. And it's so much easier than to put someone else down so that you don't look so bad. I mean, this is just such human nature stuff. And so Jesus said, you know, when you run into hypocrites, because Jesus foresees, he knows what's going to happen to every one, at least 11 of those, of those disciples. Even though John wasn't murdered, he was put in that terrible cave and, and you know, old, being an old man, having to do hard labor, and he, he it, was, it was terrible. He was a people person. He was, the, he was the preacher of the Ephesus church for a long time, and now he's stuck in this, alone in this cave. That's abusive. The other ones were put to death. And Jesus knew that this was going to happen, and he also knew that these hypocrites were going to be the ones that were going to drive him right to the cross, which, of course, was God's plan. We know that, and thank you, Jesus, for being willing. But unfortunately, it was these hypocrites that did it. And so he is saying, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. You know, almost, didn't you feel when Jesus said that it was like Jesus was saying, they can just kill your body. It's no big deal. And I'm reading that, I think, if they're going to kill my body, that's a pretty big deal. But what he's trying to say is, you know, this is, again, what human nature, we have this death grip on holding on to this life. And I know that we all love to live. But he's trying to say to us that it is not that important when this earthly body and I think that's why he said it the way he said when when you are in a right walk with me you know that this earthly shell is the only thing that they can that they can kill they can't do any more than that once this earthly shell is gone then we're talking about eternal life because this life, what does James say? It's a mist here today, gone tomorrow. And here we've got this death grip holding on for dear life when we should make sure that we are so mindful that there is so much more than this. Because now he's saying, I, this is what you should fear. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who 
after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Boy, he didn't spare any words, did he? said, you better start taking a look at this, you know, once this earthly body is gone, now we're talking, you have, there's one of two places that you're going to spend your eternity. And what you are doing now is what's going to determine where you're going then. And so he's making this very clear, and he says, you should fear the one that, that, because, you know, if you're just putting all your earthly eggs into one basket and you're checking off your list because this is what you want to attain in this lifetime and you're so satisfied because you're doing it. But do you realize that one day there's going to be a choice? There's going to be this decision on where you're going to spend your eternal life. And I would think you would fear the thought of the one who has got the power to throw you into hell. Now, what's going what's gonna to be, why would, he, why would Jesus throw you into hell? Because he told you a bazillion times. He's already told you over and over. This is, this is the terms. This is the, way I, this is the way it's set up. You come to the cross humbly and you accept me because you know that you are unworthy. And by grace and mercy, you are saved. You come to me, my blood has been, my paid it all, and, and the Father has accepted that sacrifice. That's how, that's how you can stand in front of Jesus someday and hear him say, welcome home. I have been preparing this place for you. It is now ready. Well done. Now, you can hear that because if you've lived your life and followed the terms, that's what you're going to hear. However, he's saying, you know, I got the power to look at you and say, you know what, you're going to hell because you chose to not respond to this invitation, the terms. You know, he's trying to, like I said, he's trying to every angle to try to get the people to see the severity of this. And sometimes, you know, people will say too about, you know, boy, he'll throw, he'll throw you into hell. Jesus would do that. He's supposed to be a God of love and he'll throw people into hell. Well, yes, it's because of this love that he set it up and he gave you a choice. And, and, and really, he doesn't do the throwing into hell. It's not his fault because you have no one to blame but yourself. You've no one to blame. Oh, it's so easy to blame someone else. It's so easy. We're going to get more into that later. It's so easy to blame someone else, but it is your own fault. But he made it very clear. And then he repeats, yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. But then in verse 6, it's just like typical Jesus. He's got a, he, he makes this, statement like fear the one who's got the part of throwing to hell and yes I repeat fear him and then he comes back with this are not five sparrows sold for two pennies yet not one of them is forgotten by God he comes back to make sure you and I know you are so valued you are so worth it when you when you have a relationship with me and I have a relationship with you 
You know, Jesus said that so beautifully. You know, when, you know, abide in me. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. I mean, it, it's such, such a close relationship. And then he just wants to, us to make sure we know how much we're loved and valued and how much we're worth it. And, and then he says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth so much more than many sparrows. So after that tough teaching and that no-nonsense, make sure you understand and, and understand about your earthly body and, and the eternal life, he comes back and says, but never forget how much I love you and how much I was willing to do so you could experience this. I know this is not part of the lesson, but I found this very fascinating this week, so I'm just going to pass it on to you. You learned so much in here. So anyway, did you know that a redhead, a redhead has 90,000 hairs on their head, approximately. A redhead has about 90,000 hairs. Now, if you're a dark hair, if you're brunette, you have 120,000 hairs on your head. Ooh. Now, if you're a blonde, and I put on my paper, if you are a true blonde, a true blonde, now that's a whole, I don't, true blonde, if you're a true blonde, you have 145,000 hairs on your head. So redhead, 90,000, brunettes, 125,000, and blondes, 145,000. Aren't you glad you know that now? See, aren't you glad you came tonight? I thought that was a fascinating fact. And, and the fact that Jesus does know the number of hairs, whether you're a redhead, brunette, or blonde, he knows exactly how many hairs. How endearing is that? And then he says, I tell you, whoever, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Jesus knows how, how important it is to be acknowledged. I mean, have you ever had somebody introduce and acknowledge you to a, another person that you've never met before, but they know, but they value you so much that they wanted, they wanted their other friend to meet you? So, you know, they, the only reason they would do that is because they, they think that you're, you're so wonderful and that, you know, you mean so much to them, so they want to introduce you to them. So they're acknowledging you before someone else. And, and hey, for, if you're the one being acknowledged, that feels pretty good because you, you do feel valued. You do feel how, how much they, they care about you to want to introduce you to someone else. And see, Jesus is no different he said, if you acknowledge me, that means that you love me so much that you want to introduce me to someone else who doesn't know, that doesn't know me. And you are so, that you are so excited about, about your relationship that you want to pass it on to someone else. He said, if you acknowledge me and you're not embarrassed of me, you're not ashamed of me, then you are willing to introduce me to someone else. He said, I'll make sure I acknowledge you before the angels of God. Now, that's quite a picture. Just think he wants to introduce you. He wants to acknowledge, he wants to acknowledge you and I before. That's why he said, I'll make it so worth your while. Can you imagine how much this will make it worth our while to acknowledge him here think he will acknowledge us before the throne. I look at the angels of God in Revelation. It says there are thousands of angels where worshiping around the throne. So he takes us 
Imagine that. He wants to acknowledge you and I before the very throne of God. That's how important we are to him. But that also shows how important it is that we acknowledge him here. But then he flips it and says, but he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. That's a, that's a low blow. I mean, if you are not excited to introduce Jesus to someone else because you know what he's done for you, so you want to pass it on to that they don't miss it, if, you, if this doesn't mean that much to you or you're ashamed or you're embarrassed, so afraid of what people are going to think, he said, well, then I'm going to disown you too then before the, before the angels of God. You're not going to get that privilege. You're not going to get that experience. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. When you first read that, did you think that maybe your Bible forgot a word? I mean, I, you know, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of God, wouldn't you think it would say it won't be forgiven? You speak against the Son of God, you are not going to be forgiven. But none of our Bibles made a mistake. That just shows his character. That just shows how loving he is and how forgiving he is. Because, you know, you can think of the worst person. You can think of the worst person that, that maybe, you know, in the world, the horrific things that they have done. And you think, well, you know, yeah, that is just too bad. Do you know, you can, whether you say... Bin Laden or Adolf Hitler or Ted Bundy or any, you know, anybody like that. And you think, oh, it is amazing to me how this verse says that they can come and they can confess and they can repent and they will be forgiven. That that verse holds true that if you confess your sin and sin is sin, no matter how horrific it is. If you confess, you, he is faithful and he's just and he'll forgive and he'll cleanse. So there was not a word for forgive. That, was, that word was not forgotten in that passage. That just shows who he is. But instead of thinking that that verse is just for those people who have committed those kind of sins, this verse really kind of smacked me because anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man you know, you don't actually verbally have to speak against the Son of Man, but by not being obedient or not doing what he's, what he's asked you to do, I mean, why don't you want to obey? Well, because I don't want to. It's, it's, I, I, don't want, I don't want to acknowledge him. I don't. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of God, if you say nothing, you're speaking against him. That's basically what it is. And I, I've told, you know, some of you this before, but, you know, the, the thing that comes to my mind, and, and the Lord, even though it's under the blood, it's been forgiven, I know it's, it's forgiven, he remembers it no more, so, but yet I think he allows me not to forget it because he doesn't want me to ever do this again. I mean, one time, you know, we were in, Tom and I were in this coffee shop, we were going from one concert to the other, we had a little downtime. And, and as the Lord would have it, you know, he put someone right next to me. He was probably in his early 20s. And in and, and, and the Lord, it's like gave me x-ray vision that I could even see what book he was reading because this coffee shop had a library. 
And he was reading this book, and, and it was so obvious that there he is in his early 20s, and he's searching. He's got to find himself. And, and, you know, I'm looking and I'm watching him, and it's, even though I've never heard the Lord verbally, you know, audibly talk to me, I knew without a doubt that he gave me instructions on what I was to do. He had given me the visual of the man and the book, and all he wanted me to do was not, not get up and sit at his table and start preaching to him. He, all he wanted me to do was put my hand on his shoulder and, and, and introduce him. If you're looking for a good book, I, I just want you to try this one. Just introduce him to the book that can show him how to find himself. Find out how much he's valued and loved. That's all the Lord wanted me to do. And oh, I wish I could tell you that I just got up, put my hand on his shoulder and introduced him to God's word, but I didn't walk right out get in the car, and I am feeling guilty because the message was so clear, and I didn't do it. And so we're going along the way, and I, I can't stand guilt. And you know what you want to do with guilt? You know what you should do with guilt. Just confess it, and that's what the Lord wants. That's why he may, lets us feel guilty so that we'll do something about it. It's so miserable. So instead of going to the Lord and confessing it, I thought, ah, I think I'll just blame Tom. Because I think that, that, and this is what we do. We start blaming other people. Then we don't look so bad because it was Tom's fault. Tom tells me, you know, so often it's a man, you know, we're the last people to leave. You're, you're talking all the time, you know. And every time we go someplace, you just can't just go in. You always got to be talking Jesus to this. You got, you know. I thought, you know, and even though he doesn't care one Bit, I thought, I'm just going to put the blame on him. So I said to him, Tom, I want you to know, did you see that kid that was sitting by? I said, I saw that kid. I said, did you see what he was reading? He said, no. See, he, he wasn't given the x-ray vision because he wasn't called to do the job. I was. And I said, well, I just want you to know the Lord told me to put my hand on his shoulder and introduce him to this book. And I want you to know, aren't you happy that I kept my mouth shut for once and I just... Weren't you so pleased that I just did that for you? That you didn't have to be embarrassed again? Which he never was embarrassed. I just was making that up. You know, he doesn't get mad at me very often, but when he does, and he was mad. He didn't take his hands off the wheel, but he took his eyes off the road. And he looked directly at me and said, don't you dare blame me for your disobedience. And he was right. He was right, but I couldn't help but think of that, even though I have asked forgiveness. But let me tell you, this, this man's face, I could, even, I could even describe him. If he walked in this room, I'd know who he was. That's how imprinted he is in my mind. And I keep asking the Lord when he brings that face to my mind, Lord, please send someone better to him next time, someone better than me. But I'm telling you, I don't ever want this feeling again. Because I really feel that I, that I spoke against the Son of Man by doing nothing that day. The thing is, look, at I love what it says, but I'll be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
So what is that? It's not that complicated at all. We all understand that the Holy Spirit is given to us as the ultimate gift at Calvary. You talk about making that humbling walk worth it. You've been now gifted with his Holy Spirit. But before the Holy Spirit can possess you and I, he has got to do his number one job. The Holy Spirit's number one job is to draw us to Jesus. He'll use all kinds of things like sermons, Bible studies, um, radio, music. I mean, he will use so many different kinds of things. But that's the Holy Spirit perched on your shoulder, whispering in your ear that you need a Savior. That's the Holy Spirit's number one job. And if you are willing to listen and say yes to that, well, then you know what happens from there. But this is where this verse comes in. If you think that you can do it on your own and you don't want to listen to that voice and you don't want to hear that instruction and you're, you're just, actually, you are giving the Holy Spirit a big fat no, that is blasphemy and that is a sin that will not be forgiven. You have said no to the gospel of Christ. You think Jesus is intense in this talk? I mean, you talk about you talk about serious subjects. And then verse 11, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Do you ever think about that verse, that that verse could mean you? I mean, I hope and pray it never happens to us, but I still say that there, that Bible study group in, in, in Georgia, when they met together that one week, and I'm sure they innocently came in and they were chit-chatting, and then they got down to business, and never did they think that some guy with a gun was going to come in and shoot them. Just like us tonight. That's the farthest thing from my mind. However... It shouldn't be, because nowadays it happens. And we have to, this whole, these last couple of chapters, Jesus is saying, I want you ready for everything. I want you so prepared that if and when a situation arises, because haven't you ever thought, I wonder how I would handle it if a gunman would come in here, or I wonder how I would handle it if, if I was that teenage girl back in Columbine days. I wonder how I would handle it if he said to me, do you believe in Jesus? How, what would I say? Because I'm sure my kids and my grandkids would all be flashing in front of my eyes. Would I be thinking, oh, no, no, no. Because you know if you said yes, you know your life is over. So would you renege? Would you, because you want to live, would you step back? No, no, I don't. Oh, I'll tell you, this verse has got your answer. Because we don't know. We might have to stand in front of government authorities. We might have to stand in front of, because I'll tell you, you're seeing that now. You're starting to see that when we make a stand, biblical stand for Christ and for his principles, who knows what's going to happen? We could lose jobs. We could lose finances. We could, we could, it's heading that way. So how are we going to handle it? I mean, we could be an ostrich and stick our head in the sand. No, it's not going to happen to me. Well, we don't know. And the Lord says, I want you ready. And I want you to know that the answer is right there. And that's why it's so important that the Holy Spirit does reside inside of you. 
and that you are in your Bibles and that you do love Bible study because at just the right time, that's what it says, at just the right time, there's your answer. Just when you need it, you are going to hear from the Holy Spirit what you have learned and it's going to be right there for you. You're going to know exactly what to say and how to act. Isn't that comforting? In all of our questioning about how are we going to handle it, I wonder if that, what would I do? There's your answer. When you are connected to the Lord Jesus and you're listening to God's Spirit and you are taking in more and more of his instruction, you are going to know exactly what to say at just the right time. Now, again, I say it. This is intense teaching. Now picture this, because in my red letter, all of a sudden I have some black words that Luke didn't want us to miss. And it, it did, it just kind of upset me so much, because in this intense teaching, someone in the crowd stood up and said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now what did that have to do with anything? This is what self-centeredness looks like. Tuning, tuning out Jesus' words, could care less about what he's saying. All he came for was to get the teacher. See, he wanted the teacher to say, oh, call your brother here. I'll straighten this out. I'll tell him he's got to be fair. You'll get your mayor. You'll get your money. You'll get your fair share. This, this is what he thought Jesus was going to do, teacher. That's all he cared about was himself, and all he cared about was his inheritance. And Jesus replied. This is how he replied. He probably looked at this man. He didn't, he didn't give him much of an answer. He didn't talk to him in paragraphs. This is what he said directly to this man. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter, an arbiter between you? In other words, no one, no one appointed me. This is not my job. This is not even an interest of mine. I don't care about this earthly inheritance. I don't care right now about this. I am concerned that you are ready and prepared. <laughs> then he turned. Then he said to them, "This, because you know he doesn't. Jesus will, will use." anything and everything. And he probably thought, well, seeing that we're on the subject, seeing, this, seeing that this man just showed us how gr what greed looks like, let's just talk about it. He said to them, watch out. Watch out, exclamation point. Be on your guard against it. Because that too, greed is a sneaky one too. The more you have, the more you want. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's a tough one. In fact, we were talking about that before class tonight. It is not, this is such a human way of thinking. It's in our, in our human brains, we concoct the fact that the abundance of our possessions are going to show how accomplished we've become. And Jesus says if a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not about the things of this world. And, and then can't you just say, Jesus, it's time for a story. 
It's time for a parable. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, there is your first clue that this is going to be problems. He thought to himself. And the more I read this this week, I started marking every time he said, I, myself, mine, me. Whenever he said that, I'm telling you, I'm all blacked here. He said it so many times. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? do. Oh my, what a problem. My harvest was so bountiful this year. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'm thinking, did he ever give one thought To the one who gave the rain and the sunshine and and made the fertile soil so it could produce. Not one thing was said about that. It was all, you talk about greed, it's all about myself, my grain, my goods. And then verse 19, and I'll say to myself, I can just see him sitting there all puffed up with his big problem of overabundance. Taking all the credit. You have plenty of good things. He's talking to himself, you know. He's saying to himself. You can just see him talking to himself. Oh, you have just done such a good job. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. You have worked hard now. Now, you know what? You're comfortable. Um, You've got enough for retirement. You've got enough for nursing home care. I mean, you are just now, you are fine. Got it all. Got my ducks all in a row. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what life's about now. I deserve this. It just reeked with self-centeredness. It should just make us nauseous, but it should also make us sit up and say, how many times do I take credit for only what God did? But, this, but the, the thing that's almost humorous is that he's got himself sitting there all puffed up, thinking about, I've got a lot of years here, and I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And, and then God says to him, oh, you fool. Ooh, you fool. This very night, you know all those years you thought you had? Well, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. You have made yourself a wrong God. And now now you're going to see what the consequences are. And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You know, God God doesn't care if you're rich. I mean, you can be thankful. He has blessed you, but, you know, he's blessed you to be a blessing. But, but it's not the riches he's got a problem with. He, he is, the problem lies is when you've made those riches your God and not him. And that's with anything. It's with anything, not just riches. That's the example used here. But anytime anything gets put ahead of him, he's, he's, he calls you on it. 
And then he moves into, because I, because I think that, you know, not only is he on a roll, but he knows that greed and worry kind of go hand in hand because once your focus is off him, you are just spiraling down. Greed, because the more you have, I heard this about people with a lot of possessions, the more, like more toys that you have, the more the break. You know, the more you have, it seems like the more you got to worry about it. Because wonder if somebody vandalizes them. Wonder, wonder if, you know, oh, you're always worrying. The more things you have, the more you got to worry about. So it, it just looks pretty automatic that this greed then went into worry. And he said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. You know, just in case when we hear that word worry, we automatically, our brain goes to, yeah, but he doesn't mean, I mean, obviously you can't help but worry about your kids, you can't help but worry about your grandkids, you can't help but worry about, you know, uh, your health and all this kind of thing. Can't help it. He's saying, oh, no, no, I'm going to cover all the bases. I say, do not worry about anything in your life. Because you, when I had you on your questions, I had you, I, I had you, um, what is worry anyway? What is worry? And it basically is unbelief. You have taken your eyes off the Lord and put them on yourself because you don't really think he's able. You really, you really don't even give him a second thought. All you're thinking about is, I got, I got to work this out. I got to do something about this. I got I to. Gotta, I gotta. That's where the stress comes. That's where you go crazy. The worry drives you crazy because your eyes are off him and you're having to come up with a solution. And you think, well, you know, how, how can you help? You know, how, what's the difference between, because I think that there are times that we're, uh, we're going to be concerned about the situation. And I think this is where he wants us to see the difference. What's the difference about worry and concern? And worry is when he's not even in the picture. And concern is when he is in the picture. The situation hasn't changed, but you've just invited him in. So yes, you are concerned. Anytime the unknown is, is approaching you fast. But when you invite him in, and you remember that song about, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know that you're Emmanuel, God with us. You can invite him in, and he will never leave you through it all. There's the difference between worry and concern. Jesus didn't say, don't be concerned. He said, don't worry. Because he knows that when we worry, our eyes are off him. I couldn't say anything last week, but... Um, Jason came to me a couple weeks ago, and he said, I just want you to know that, that um, I am going to the Ukraine. I can't tell you where I'm going there. I can't tell you who I'm meeting up with. But I just want you to know I'm going to Poland, and then I'm going to take a train into Ukraine. Said, um, but I can only tell... Amy, his wife, and me, and Tom, and, um, and one person in his church. So I couldn't say anything. And then he looked at me and he says, now don't worry, Mom. And, you know, my human nature as a mom, I'm thinking, I, I want to look at you and say, well, that's the 
craziest, most ridiculous thing I've heard you say. Don't worry when I know you're going into this. And I don't know what's going to happen. But this is where I know it works. And I can't believe that I was studying this particular chapter. How? God knows. Because I looked at him, and instead of saying, I can't help it, Jason. I can't help it. You're going into a war zone. I can't help but worry. You can't expect me not to worry. But instead, out of my mouth came, I just hugged him. And I said, Jason, I have surrendered you so many times to the Lord. One more time isn't going to hurt me at all. Now, does that mean I'm not going to be concerned for him? I mean, that, this kid has been on my mind all week. If, I, if, if everything went right, he's, he's home. Huh. I can't wait to talk to him. But um, he, he was gone for 12 days. And the thing about it is, is that there were, when he could send a picture or two, he would send it to Chad and to me. And then Chad called me and he says, did you ever see Jason smile so much? The pictures, Jason was just beaming. Because of the call of God, and I know there were some people that said, Jason, why, should, why do you do this? I mean, you got a wife and three kids, three boys. How can you just leave? Go to a war zone. How can you do this? And then Jason said, how, do you, how did you and dad put up with that? Because people said that to us all the time. You're going to care about everybody else's kids, and your own kids are going to go hot and all this stuff. Finally, I said to them this answer. I don't expect you to understand. You weren't called. I just believe that when God calls a family, he knows. He knows exactly. He knows exactly how he's going to take care of Amy. He knows exactly how he's going to take care of Oliver and Jonas and Regan. He knows. He put the call of God on that family. Jason is the one that went, but the call was on all five of them. Every time I checked on Amy, she was fine. She even said to me yesterday, boy, didn't time fly? <laughs> I mean, she was just a busy mom. But we saw how he beamed and how he glowed and how he, he was just, he, the call of God is so powerful. And you can be concerned, but there is such a difference between concern and worry. And only you can decide what it's going to be in your situation. You know, even though there were times when I was studying this lesson and I was studying this chapter and thinking of Jason at the same time, not knowing exactly. I mean, the, I mean, I saw he was in some dark place in a basement and in all this kind of thing. And, and I had to go back because in this chapter was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. I thought I got to take the whole chapter. I've got to accept this whole chapter. But again, remember the truth of don't be afraid. It's just the exterior. It's not the real him. So it kind of came right, this chapter came right to flourishing for my understanding, I'll tell you. But then he says, consider life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. I'm sure there's some women that say, What? There's more to life than food and clothes. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's far too many that's, 
But then Jesus says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? How often don't we worry about things we have no control over? You know, you're going to get married and it's supposed to be outside and you're just worried sick. You're just stressing out because wonderful rains. Well, go inside. I mean, you know, we just worry, worry, worry over things we have no control of. We have no switch that we can turn the rain off or on. I mean, it is up to the Lord. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not. Even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? And then he makes this statement, which to me, too, is haunting. In the middle of this, he says, oh, you of little faith. I think what he meant was, how could you say this? How can you worry I mean, to us, he's saying, look at you. You've been through 12 chapters of Luke. You've, you've heard. You have heard this instruction. You've, the Holy Spirit's made this so clear to you. He's saying to these disciples, you've been with me three years, and you've watched, and you've listened, and how can you say these things? Isn't that, isn't that sad? I mean, don't, I just don't want the Lord to say that me after all what you've learned after all what you've been through and after all that you've watched me work in your life how can you say this oh but I can't help it worry 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 and he says do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink do not worry about it and then he puts it this way because you know what it's the pagan world that runs after such things you want to be included in that you want to be identified you are Christian on your back. That's a whole different way to live. He says, and your father, he reminds us again, your father, just like last week. You want to stay connected? The first step in that prayer is father. You have a father who loves you and wants the best for you and will do whatever it takes, but he also knows discipline. I mean, father is such an identity that speaks so many things, but it's all wonderful for your good. Your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. Put Jesus first. Make sure he is your God. And these things will be given. And that was another part of that connection prayer last week. You can, you can, with confidence, because you know who he is, you can say, Father, give me today what I need, physically, spiritually. And he comes back and he reiterates this. You have a father who knows what you need. And if you seek Jesus first, he'll see to it that you have what you need. Do not be afraid. And then he calls, look, he says, do not be afraid, little flock. What a sweet way to, what a sweet name to call us. Do not be afraid, little flock. By calling us little flock, what does that insinuate? You have what? You've got a shepherd, a shepherd that will never lead you down the wrong path, who loves you, who's going to make sure that he guides you. 
for your father has been pleased to give you this. He has been pleased to give you this kingdom. He's been pleased to give you salvation. He's been pleased to give you abundant life in assurance, blessed assurance. He's pleased to give you eternity with him without doubt or question. Verse 33, it's kind of like he just kind of snaps that verse in there. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Boo. I don't think that he necessarily means that we have to just go out now tonight and sell all of our possessions and give it all to the poor. But I do think that after all this tough teaching, he is saying, I'm going to test you. And I'm, I know where to test you. I mean, because he's been talking about, you know, the... the um, parable of the rich fool and all that. You know, it's kind of been talking about that subject, so he stayed on that subject. But any, anything, he knows where, where a test will really determine whether we're just saying the words and it's just a good church thing to say because it makes us look again, go back to hypocrisy. We know how to quote it. We could say it all. He said, I'm just going to throw in this test. And I mean, it can be a tough one. It can be a health thing. It can be, it can be a, um, a loss. I mean, you just think, he just knows what is going to get your attention and what, he says, okay, I know, you know, you said, oh, good Bible study, good lesson tonight, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm going to throw this in here just to make sure that it's not just words to you, that you are applying this to your life. Because you truly believe it. And then it says, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Provide purses. It's just, just almost like he knew that a lot of women were going to be reading this passage. And we understand this purse thing. And I do, because one time, I, you know, I just carry one purse. I don't switch, you know, very, very often. So I carry one purse. And so I invested in a real good quality purse, thinking, now, this is going to last. This leather will last me. I bet I won't have to buy another purse. I'm telling you, it wasn't long. Before there's, it's wear out spot here, wear out spot here. Before, it's just looking grungy. And I'm thinking, man, I paid a good price for this. I can understand if it's cheap, but, you know, cheap quality, but, you know, anything of this world. And he said, how about providing? And he uses that, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. And this is the purse that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never be exhausted. He's saying, you know, your time, your 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 thoughts, your reason for living. How about investing your life in things that are going to last? Where no thief comes near and no moths destroy. You know, last Christmas, last Christmas, I'm, I'm getting groceries at Meyer, and I know I put my purse right in that spot. Shouldn't do it, but I did put the kid strap around, so I thought, there, it's safe. Nobody's going to grab this purse without making a ruckus because it's already, it's already tied in there. 
But my purse was open on the top because after all, my coupons are laying there and I got to know which coupon I'm going to need for what thing. So my purse is open on the top. I turn. I turn for a second to get something off the shelf. I come back and... Oh, I don't know. I didn't see anything. I didn't think anything of it. I get to the register to check out my pile of groceries, and I don't have a wallet. Somebody had honestly had, had just put their hand in there. A thief went in there, took my wallet right out of my purse that slick, that fast, without me even noticing it. I mean, it's like I kind of went into a daze, but left my groceries, went home, because, I, you know, no money, no credit cards, no anything. So I just left everything, went home, probably about maybe a half hour, 45 minutes before I, you know, I called the, I had two credit cards, one ministry credit card and one regular credit card. So I called those two credit cards right away. And do you know, within that short time, these master thieves had gone to Sam's Club. Now, get this, we had let our membership run out, so they renewed it. Can you believe the thief renewed our membership so that they could check out $4,000 plus on one card, $4,000 plus, because see, Sam's has a thing that if you charge $5,000 or over, then, then it flies a red flag. So they're that clever. They know $4,000 something on each card. Police come, of course, they come over and they said, oh yeah, you know, we got them on camera. We, we, you know, one is in this register, another one's at this register. It's all cards they're buying, all cards. And I said, well, can you get them? They said, nope, because they're so clever. They know how to cover their head. They know where the cameras are. He said, we can't see their face. And the credit card companies are not going to do a thing about it and they know it. 8000 dollars and the credit cards are, companies aren't going to do anything about it. And they know that. Those, guys, those two guys walked out of Sam's with over $8,000 worth of goods in that short time. That's just appalling, isn't it? And there were so many other things. You know how a wallet is. And the thing I really was disappointed in is because the school issues grandparents' cards to be able to go free to your, your, children's, your children's ball games. That was in there. I mean, in just the list of all the other stuff, you know? It's just disaster. And then this is it. Just think, you know... Let's just concentrate, Jesus says, on things that thieves can't get, that moths can't get, that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, a check, a check of our heart. Maybe there's a little hypocrisy there about, well, you know, I want Jesus to be my ultimate treasure. I want that, but oh, I got this little area of my heart that, heart that I'm still holding on to. See, he knows, and he's always working on us because he wants us freed up. Then he, he says, he moves into verse 35, and he says, Be dressed and ready for service. Be dressed and ready and keep your lamps burning. What a good phrase. What a wonderful phrase. Be dressed and ready in your lamps. What does that mean? Your lamps burning. Psalm 119 says in, in the word, God's word is a lamp to our a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Or the word. You know, be dressed and ready. Well, be in your Bibles. Have your Bibles open. This is the book to study. And you will be dressed and ready. 
like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Do you, have you ever had company over? And, and um, I don't know whatever you had, you maybe had a really difficult day and you couldn't get everything done and, and you can feel the worry and you can feel the stress because you are not ready and you just hope that they're not one minute early. In fact, if they're five minutes late, that would be great. And so, you know, you're all worked up. You know how you feel when you're not ready for someone it almost makes you crabby. It almost is going to, you know, you hear that doorbell and it almost think, ugh. Changes your whole attitude and it's supposed to be a wonderful time, but no, you're all stressed out because you're not ready. What a difference when you know someone's coming over and you are ready. You are ready ahead of time and you can't wait to see their car pull in the driveway. You can't wait to see the, hear that doorbell and you open that door. You cannot wait. What a difference between the two. Difference between are you ready or aren't you ready? And he goes on to say, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. I had a hard time with that verse because I just couldn't believe it. We're talking about Jesus is saying that someday he is going to, he is going to put the servant's clothes on. He will dress himself to serve and he will have us recline at the table and will come and wait on us. But didn't Jesus say that? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And I know he came to seek and to save the lost, but once we have been found, this is what he is going to do. This is when he says, like I said before, this is what I, I made for you. This is what I prepared for you. I've been waiting for you to come. It's just hard for me to get my head around the idea that my King of Kings and Lord of Lords loves me that much that he cannot wait. He is ready for me. And I am ready for him. And together, we are going to experience this fellowship. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. You're so ready. You don't care what time he comes. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Well, that's a no-brainer. If you know that the, that the thief is coming, you are ready for him. That's not always, that is not so good. That is really, that's why Jesus said, you also must be ready anytime because you do not know because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I mean, sure, the other one is a no-brainer, but that's not what's going to happen. You are not going to know exactly when he's coming so that you can get everything just right at that last minute. No, you got to be dressed and ready with your lamps burning Anytime, because it could happen anytime. And then Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And you know that he's pretty much saying, you know, is this just for us, you know? 
Jesus is thinking, no, anybody who's willing to listen, this message is for anyone who is willing to listen, but that's the kicker, who's willing to listen, because this is touch, tough teaching. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance or the proper time? So who is the master's manager who was to give their food allowance at the proper time? It's, it's you. It's me. And it's, we are the managers of this gospel, and we have the opportunity to be able to, to give it out at just the right time. When, when, and may I never blow it that bad again, but when the Lord puts people right in front of us, you and I are managers of this gospel. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. It will be good for that servant when the master finds him doing what he's supposed to be doing. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But, verse 45, but suppose the servant says to himself, again, says to himself, talking to himself, and this is what's going on so today too. Ah, we're talking about that. Not going to come for a long time yet, you know. I mean, they just got themselves believing that lie of the enemy. You got plenty of time. But suppose the servant says to himself, "My master's taking a long time in coming," and he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants, and he decides to eat and drink and get drunk and. Oh, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him at a place with the unbelievers. That's a picture and a half. And you know what I wrote in my white spot in my Bible right there? He has given us a picture of what it's like when it's too late. Because there is going to be a day when it is too late. No more chances. We don't know. You'd, who wants to play Russian roulette with the coming of the Lord? I'd just soon be dressed and ready with my lamps burning because you just don't know. Because I am not playing games on this subject. Because he made it, he made it very clear here of what's going to happen to those who thought that this wasn't that serious. I got plenty of time. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. It's kind of like last week's lesson. He's going to show that he's going to be a just judge. And to those who were given many, many opportunities, they will be held accountable for those opportunities. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with fewer blows. All we know is that God is just. But I would dare say that we are living in the first part. <laughs> We're the ones that have been given so many opportunities. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. In verse 49, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. I mean, I'm sure there's many ways you can interpret that when Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. I think, personally, I think as, you know, our, 
I believe, according to the scripture, that this earth will be destroyed by fire, not by flood, but by fire. And I think Jesus here is picturing that someday when we'll have the new heaven and the new earth, and we'll all be, all his children will all be there together. I think that's what he's envisioning. Oh, oh, how I wish it were already kindled, that that was all behind us. But he's saying, oh, but we've got to go through the process. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. And that was, a, that was quite a choice of words when he said, I have a baptism to undergo. I would dare say that, you know, baptism is like an Im- immersion. I think he knows that he is going to be immersed into suffering and agony. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? Do you th- that was quite a question. Did you think that I came to bring peace? And my first answer would be, well, yeah. You're the prince of peace. You've come to bring peace because you're the one, when we find you, we experience this peace. But that's not what he's talking about. He, yes, he is the prince of peace. And yes, he does bring peace to us individually. But he is saying, no, 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 um, this gospel, as wonderful as it is, is, it is, because there's going to be some that say yes to it and some that say no. And that is going to cause dysfunction and division. So, I mean, this was an eye-opener. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but I come to bring division. I come to bring this gospel. But like I said at the very beginning, don't you wish all these thousands were saying yes? but they're not. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I'm sure you have, if you're not experiencing yourself, you've heard the horror stories in families when I mean, I, I know we had that for many years when Jason, that's why it's just so unbelievable. You know, I remember I started surrendering Jason to the Lord when this kid was just, uh, he was so bad. You know, and, and, and I just knelt by his bed every day for I don't know how many years, just kept surrendering to the Lord because I couldn't change my sick boy. I couldn't fix him like with a Band-Aid like I used to. I mean, it, but, you know, it caused that. I mean, it caused dissension in her home when he would say, I'm not going to believe this because you tell me. Just because you're Linnell Pierce, that doesn't mean that I have to believe this. Smart mouth, you know? But that's what he believed. And that he was just defiant. He was just disagreeable. And then, and then when the Lord got a hold of him, because he just can't give up, because the Lord does miracles in the hearts and lives. That's why you just have to keep... Keep surrendering. Let God and the Spirit do his work. And I'll never forget when Jason preached his first sermon and I I was going through the line and he whispered in my ear, I was born for this. It just took me a while. You know, and it's really true. I mean, I think he's a whole different kind of preacher than Chad is. They both have the same message, but there's just something different in the two because, because Jason has been around the block. He knows. 
He knows what rejection looks like. He knows what hopelessness looks like. He knows all those things. He knows the answer. And there's something about that smile of his because he knows. He's been there. So, yeah, it does cause dissension on everybody in the family, and it breaks your heart. In the last part of this chapter, he said to the crowd, he said to the whole crowd here, he said, you know, you're smart people. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you'll say, it's going to rain. And it does, because that's the sign. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. <laughs> and then look at verse 56. He starts out with exclamation point, hypocrite. He probably, when they're saying, you know, when he's starting to say this, they're probably starting to think, oh, then he does realize that we're intelligent people. And then he inserts, hypocrite. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Yes, you are smart. You can quote Isaiah. You can quote all those prophets. You know every prophecy and how, how it's supposed to be fulfilled. And if you were willing, you could see that it was all fulfilled perfectly and I'm standing right in front of you. So you really aren't so smart, are you? Why don't you judge for yourself what is right? Look at this was another plea he had. No. Think about it. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? You've got the brains. You've got the intelligence. As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to reconcile to him on the way. Or he, he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turns you over to the officer and the officer throws you into prison. I think all those words, just simply Jesus is saying, do something while you have the chance. Because you are on the road to destruction. So while you're on the road to destruction, you have a chance. You've got an opportunity. Make the most of it. Because if you don't, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And you know, for a rejection of Jesus, you know what that punishment is. You're not, they're not getting out. They're not getting out of hell. You're going to pay. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You know, there's been a, the last few chapters we've had to leave, and we, we say, yeah, that, that's not the way I want to leave. This is, this is tough. Can't you say something positive? You know, why do we have to leave like this? But I'm telling you, for us who have been to the cross and we have the Holy Spirit and, and we know the truth of his word and we are seeing the spiritual growth in our lives and we, we can testify. We, our testimony is Jesus. I'll tell you, it doesn't get more positive than that because this doesn't, re, this doesn't even, that's not even us. We don't even have to think about that. Because we know him. He's given us the opportunity and we took it. So yes, I am leaving you with something so positive. But it, it is, it does chill. It, you do feel chilled to your bone, I think, when you realize the intensity for those who do not believe and who are playing around 
and playing Russian roulette, thinking they're funny and thinking that it's all about now and myself. <laughs> but help us not to be ashamed or just remember, if we acknowledge him to someone else, he will acknowledge us before the angels at the throne. <laughs> Heavenly Father, this has been so good. Thank you for making it clear to us. It's very clear, sometimes almost too clear, but, but we need it. We need to see it, and then we can make changes. Maybe there's some hypocrisy in our heart that we really, that, that we're getting pretty good at camouflaging. But Lord, you want us real. You want us pure, because you know that what's in our heart will come out of us. So may, thank you again for making it so clear. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, and thank you for your spirit, because... He's just making things so, so black and white for us. Father, we do want to be transformed into the likeness of your son. What a privilege, what an honor. So Lord, may we do and use the tools that, that you've given us because we desire it so much. All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, the one who will never leave us or forsake us, who will be with us every step of the way. And Father, help us to just loosen our grip here and to know that we have an eternity that lies before us. But maybe be woken up to think that what we're doing now is what's going to determine what you say to us someday. Lord, we just give you this night. Use it however. Bring it right to the hearts. We're right where we need it. And we'll truly give you the praise for Jesus' sake. Amen.